0: Hello everyone, I'm Heather Ward, the SCA's Director of Content Strategy, and you're listening to the SCA Podcast. Today's episode is part of our Expo Lecture Series dedicated to showcasing a curated selection of the extensive live lectures offered at our Specialty Coffee Expo. Check out the show notes for relevant links and a full transcript of today's lecture. This episode of Expo 2019 Lectures Podcast is supported by SoftEngine Coffee One, powered by SAP. Built upon SAP's business-leading enterprise resource planning solution, SoftEngine Coffee One is designed to quickly and easily take your small to medium coffee company, working at any point along the coffee chain, to the next level of success. Learn more about SoftEngine Coffee One at softengine.com, with special pricing available for SCA members. Soft Engine, the most intelligent way to grow your business. The episode you're about to hear was recorded live at the 2019 Specialty Coffee Expo in Boston. Don't miss next year's lecture series in Portland. Find us on social media or sign up for our monthly newsletter to keep up to date with all of our announcements, including ways to get involved in next year's expo and early bird ticket release. In today's lecture, a panel delves into the challenges faced by East African processors of high-quality coffee. The discussion shares solutions to these challenges, found by three organizations in Ethiopia, Burundi, and Rwanda. These organizations have been working on cutting-edge methods to improve both the farm gate price and workers' pay, while increasing the cup quality. Representing one cooperative and two private companies, they address working with a large number of smallholders the impacts of government regulation, and the considerations of certification. President of Artisan Coffee Imports Ruthann Church leads the panel, featuring Lauren Rosenberg, Managing Director of Long Miles Coffee in Burundi, Rachel Samuel, Co-Owner and Director of Marketing at Geisha Village Coffee Estate in Ethiopia, and Sarah Yerga, Founder and General Manager of YA Coffee Roasters in Rwanda. And as usual, I will jump in occasionally to help you follow along.
1: Welcome to the session. Uh, I'm Sarah from Ethiopia, and my panelists are Ruth & Church, Rachel and Lauren, uh, representing three amazing and dynamic organizations that are working in a wonderful job in the coffee industry. Um, The topic we're going to have today, the lecture topic is East African Quality Innovation. That's going to address three major areas that are Marketing, price of cherry, and quality control. These three are key in the in our coffee endeavors. Everybody should be really uh, interested in what this amazing woman are going to say. One of the key points we're going to talk about in this session is marketing. How do you convince your buyers to pay the price for the quality you're producing? which is directly related to the quality you produce and what's the cost of producing that quality. Again, we're going to talk about uh, farm gate prices and how they influence the cherry uh, quality and the coffee we produce. So I'm going to directly take you to Rachel who's going to tell us about her experience in the pricing, marketing and uh, convincing buyers and customers to pay the price the coffee, the quality, and the standard deserves. Thank you for joining us on the session. Hi guys, I'm uh, Rachel Samuel. Hi, um, I'm going to
2: refer to my note because I get to, I get to be passionate when talking about coffee. So, um, who am I? I am uh, Rachel, and I'm a co-founder. My husband and I have found Geisha Village Coffee Estate in. Uh, uh, and I'm the, also the marketing director for Geisha Village. Geisha Village was founded in, um, 2011. And why Geisha Village? Because we, in our past lives, we did documentary film and photography. I traveled different parts of the world doing photography and filmmaking. And, um, we, in 2008, we got commissioned for, with the Ethiopian government to do, uh, an intellectual property, um, a film about uh, uh, issues that was going on at at that time in Ethiopia. And uh, we had a chance to really travel different parts of Ethiopia to look at different farms. And we got excited. We thought coffee farming seemed cool, seemed interesting, uh, seemed beautiful. And we met some really incredible people in uh, different parts of the country. So I said, hey, why don't we become farmers? Now, uh, that is easier said than done, obviously, um, because uh, coffee requires a lot of knowledge, uh, and we had to put artistry that we did in our filmmaking, in our art, in our documentary, in detail-oriented uh, artists that we are, in our coffee. So we really had to learn about what it is that we wanted to tell our stories to be. So, of course, we had to go to learn further, and we went to Panama and learned to, with Willem Booth. Uh, and uh, of course, after we got what, whatever we learned, we came back, took us a couple of years to found the perfect land. And we, we took us and we found in the southwestern region, of Ethiopia, Geisha Village. And it's in Benchimaji. I mean, like we were going away and further and further and further and Geisha Village is 40 kilometers from the border of South Sudan. It's really far. Takes us about 13 hours to get there if you're driving. uh, But once you get there, it's this paradise, really. And uh, it's overwhelming with with beauty. Uh, So... Geisha Village facts, fun facts. So there you go, we have about 60 60 permanent workers, about 800 seasonal employees. It's about 320 hectares, as you can see, 30% uh, of forest preservation. We have a washing station, hauling station, a dry mill, our own dry mill, and some fun facts. So we, we've been doing auction for the last um, three years. So, okay, so now what makes Gesha Village special? You want to know that. Okay, so the interesting about Geisha Village, we wanted to put artistry into our farm, of course. And that meant what? Getting to know the farm really, really well. So we uh, divided our farms by blocks lots, variety, microclimate, to create differentiation. Um, and as you can see, we've named them differently. Uh, we have Jababu, Surma, Oma, Shaya, Bangi, Geli, and they all have microclimate and why we call them, and that's detailed, I only have 10 minutes, so I'm gonna zip through this, okay? Uh, uh, so we created, we were able to create a system of tracking and tracing uh, all the coffee all the way to the warehouse. So, meaning we picked on a specific blocks, we tagged it, processed it, milled it separately through a system, and uh, it's all the way through export we track the system. So, we would know if a coffee is picked from Shoal Jababu, what date it's picked, all the way to export, we're able to track it and what, whatever processing type it's been. It's processed. Um, and our processing styles are washed, natural, honey, uh, experimentals. This year we have so many experiments um, carbonic maceration, aerobic fermentation, anaerobic fermentation, combined process, yeast fermentation. Um, we have some good stuff for the auction this year. So, um, so within also, hold on, within the different blocks, we have various types of tiers we offer as well. We have uh, auction, as I mentioned, we have gold label, we have red label, green label, and a couple of th- variety uh, types of chakas, and uh, the differences uh, are uh, it's, it's detailed, but the, the, it goes from high intensity to lower intensity, and higher price to lower price. We wanted to give options for, uh, for our customers. Uh, our auction is uh, about 4% of our coffee, but generates about 15% of sales overall, our gold is about 10% of our coffee and generates about 20% of sales. Um, and red, 23%, uh, and green label, and jack 20% of our sales. So it goes on like that. We know uh, how to get uh, opt- optimum in our coffee. Uh, we know how to keep it clean uh and we know what the coffee our coffee is worth because we put a lot of quality and care in our coffee in every single process we felt that that's important in creating and getting to know our products and getting to know our farm um we know what our clients want this, this labels what a client wants and they describe what it is they, the flavors that they want what it is types of coffee they want we tell them hey maybe we recommend for competition the gold label for you or uh, the red label for you or the green label. So we are able and also understand the flavors because the interesting part about the labels, we, know, we understand what each block tastes like. You know, if, if you want fruity or if you want jasmine and bergamot, we know what to pick for you. If you want natural process and washed, we also can do that. So this... Um, Variation has helped us identify and relate to what clients want in different parts of the world. Price of labor. Yes, we pay the highest in the area, uh, uh, in the area of the farm, about 200 per day. Uh, we do pay a skilled labor's premium wage. Um, but uh, that doesn't mean that, means that we. Even if we we cannot, you have to make a, a perfect balance because even if you pay so much, we might get too many employees and the quality can suffer. So it's a a, a perfect balance that you have to make. We uh, take care of our we try to take care of our employees. We give loans to our employees. We do transport services. We do um, healthcare, management, training, etc. So the idea is we want people to work for us and stay with us, and be happy working for us. Long-term uh, employees are important to us. Uh, okay, so I know I don't have that much time, so marketing. Marketing, that's what we're here for. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> marketing, No, Okay, for me, our us, marketing is very, very important. Knowing who we are, our story, our narrative. Owning our narrative is very important to us. Our storytelling um, my background is advertising, filmmaking, photography, so for me, visual elements very, very important. And consistency is important, not only quality in the product that we create, but also in in the image that we create. Who are we and what we are as a brand? Tell who we are uh, consi- consistently and continuously. We stand up for something and we are who we are throughout. And... Then people identify us all over the world for the quality we stand up, for the visual we give, who we are. And I think owning our narrative is very, very important as coffee farmers. So on that note, I want to show you a cool video. Now, the video always comes, or the visual comes from the coffee. The coffee creates the visual element, Uh, meaning uh, after the season's over, cupping comes in. We taste the coffee, and then what happens is a birth is giving of creativity. This time, we felt like dancing when we tasted this new harvest. So, go for it.
3: Okay, thank you so much, Rachel. Uh, We really appreciate you bringing your marketing message And the way you're marketing coffee Maybe not everyone can market coffee that way But we can get some good ideas
1: Hey, Lauren from Long Miles will be following now Hey, good
4: morning everybody Um, Before I start, I'd just like to get a sense of who's in the room Who is a coffee buyer? Who knows where East Africa is? (laughs) (laughs) Who knows that Burundi is in East Africa? (laughs) Bravo, okay, we're off to a really, really great start. (laughs) My name is Lauren Rosenberg, I'm the Managing Director of Long Miles Coffee Burundi. Um, And I'm just here to share with you a little bit about our story and and what we're doing in in the heart of Africa. Um, Really, Long Miles Coffee, before there was any coffee, there was a story, a story of a family moving to East Africa. And and, and that is what connected us to a world of, of coffee buyers and then the coffee came and I think it's really important to to remember that because I think there is a if we lose sight of the fact that this is about living out your dreams and and moving and risking it like we you're not understanding what we're trying to do in in East Africa so some brief facts about us um, are are up in the up in the screen. I I knew Ben and Christy from South Africa. I'm South African myself and uh, first visited Burundi in twenty twelve and just I, I basically came as I said there was there was a story, there was a blog before there was any coffee and I, I came to see if Burundi was as crazy and as beautiful as they said it was. And it, it really it really was both of those things. And started working with Long Miles in twenty thirteen and what I want to focus on today is the challenge actually that we face. In producing coffee in Burundi, in producing high quality coffee, and 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 just share a bit of our story. So, especially for those of you who are buying in the room, and just so you know um, what we're trying to do, and 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 how um, how we hope to affect change amongst rural communities in Burundi. So, the story of of producing quality coffee in Burundi is really a story of changing mindsets. So, we're coming from a legacy of a state owned crop where really an urban elite would extract coffee and and, and just export it, kind of just continuing the colonial legacy. 2009, the sector gets privatized. Um, A flurry of sort of capital comes into the country, and there's a a handful of entrepreneurs trying to do something. Um, What we have to realize in Burundi, we are not working with uh, coffee farmers. We are working with farmers who happen to have coffee on their land. And my goal as managing director of Longmouth Coffee is to try and get our farmers to think entrepreneurially. Um I just want to just kind of do a dictionary definition of what the producer is in Burundi. The producer is not the smallholder farmer. Neither is it the washing station. The producer is this really messy relationship between a washing station and the thousands of farmers it works with. So we work with close to 5,500 farmers across our two sites. Any relationship, any good relationship, is based on trust. Who knows that trust building takes time? It's messy. It's complicated. So when you think of the producer in Burundi, I want you to think of a relationship and I want you to think of a long-term change process. So we started doing this in, um, in, in 2013 and we started focusing on selective hand-picking. Wow. <laughs> I remember the arguments that used to go down at the cherry selection table. Why are you rejecting our coffee? The, the other washing station will take this. Why are you so strict? Why are you so straight? And we just kept on and on and on. Then I realized at some point, it's like, wait a minute. If we're just waging this battle at the washing station, this is just inefficient. We need to start it at farm level. Um, those of you who are buyers also know about the potato taste defect. We, we started a, a what we call a coffee scout program in 2014, trying to tackle the, the potato taste defect. And we used the intestia bug as a way to start building a training program and a farmer support program to focus on selective handpicking and quality. What we then realized is, like, okay, we can't actually just focus around harvest time. We have to focus on how does the tree grow throughout a year. So as soon as the season was over at the end of June, we we took, you know, two to three weeks break, and then we came back at the end of July 2014 and started a pruning campaign because we said, if we want to get rid of Antestia, we have to prune and we have to mulch. Farmers said, what are you doing here? All of the other coffee companies have gone. Coffee, coffee season's done. Why, why are you here? And we said, we're preparing for the next season. Three months later, I saw farmers actively working on their plantations. My, my colleague, who's an agronomist, came up. He said, Lauren, I want to introduce you to someone who had, before we started working here, abandoned coffee and focused on beans. But because he saw that we were investing, he decided, too, to rejuvenate our, his plantation. I said, wow, something's happening here. Things are changing. So, if, if if there's one key takeaway I want you to go away with is that quality control and producing quality coffee in Burundi is about changing mindsets. It is about a, a long-term community engagement that is not a you know a washing station coming in for three months saying we're going to buy coffee, we're going to pay, pay you high prices, and then that's it. We would fail in Burundi if we did that. We would also fail you as buyers if we did that because you would get a great crop the next year, and then if someone else paid a higher price the next year, they would go there. Those of you who are buying from Rwanda might (laughs) know that this is a part of the story there. Um, I want to speak a little bit about our current challenge in Burundi. Uh, Last year, the government made it law that uh, the coffee that we would normally pick out into that sack and send a farmer home with, like a, a really tough lesson. If you bring in 100 kilos and 40 kilos of those are rejected because they're floaters or they are underripe or overripe, you, you would f- literally feel the weight of that walking home, that you've not, that you've not selected the best quality. As of last year, the government of Burundi has made it law that we have to buy that cherry at half the, the minimum floor price for a supposedly free market, I don't think that's the greatest strategy. I see the policy thinking. They want to remove semi-washed in the country. But it, I shouldn't be a, obliged to buy that. So this is a difficult, difficult place for us to be in because it's effectively nullified five years of pharma training. Um, but those of you who've ever been in Bruni know that you can't dwell on the problems forever because you will become overwhelmed. And uh, so we're working even harder now. To we're, We are legally not allowed to reject that coffee. I'm also not legally allowed to invite another um, trader onto our site to buy that coffee. So I have to buy that coffee. So we're working our best to, you know, we're talking about stuff. like okay, can we give farmers bonuses?
0: Lauren has a photo of two coffee cherries. One red, titled Cherry A, and one underripe green, titled Cherry B.
4: If they, that coffee there is called Cherry B. The second quality, and the first one is cherry A. Can we give farmers a bonus if they bring the lowest percentage of cherry B? And then my colleague said, wait a minute. No, but then we'll get accused by the government that we don't want cherry B. I said, okay, how do we do this strategically? And we said, okay, right, we're going to start again. Kind of like, it's almost like starting at the beginning, except now we've got five years experience on our side. We're going to start again in the fields, talking to farmers about, why it's actually really not worth putting your money in that sack because you're gonna get half the price. If you just waited a few more days, did selective hand picking, also I can, you know, if you found some semi-wash trader, that's great. You know, I have no problem encouraging that for a farmer. And only bring the best, you're gonna get uh, you're gonna get full price. Also we do a transport bonus because we realize people are walking in far. That's oh that's something else government of Burundi took away was collection sites. That was and also another interesting policy decision. So we're doing a transport bonus, a cherry bonus, and we're trying to show farmers that if you focus on this and if you follow our agricultural program, you're gonna see your productivity increase by more than three, three times. Um, I wanna wrap up a little bit on, on, on marketing. Uh, we call it story in Long Miles. And so when we're, we're, when we're doing team meetings, we, we say every time we just run through what's our vision, our vision is to transform communities using coffee as a tool. We look through everything with two lenses, quality and story. I've spoken a little bit about quality. I want to speak finally about story in my last minute. Story is not what we put on Instagram, although I too love making Instagram stories and we, like it's, it's really fun. Um, story is in 100 years' time, when they open up the book of Long Mile's Coffee in East Africa, what are they going to read? What do we do? What are we doing with our time there? We're, we're, we have decided to do this. We are not, some people say, oh, you're on such a great adventure producing coffee. This is our lives. We've chosen this. So that, that's how we view story. We're building up a team to make that a bit more multifaceted, to have a monitoring and evaluation component of that. So we actually have hard data to show that, hey, we are pioneering change in rural Burundi. And here's the hard data for it. And if you're not interested in the hard data, here's our Instagram stories. <laughs> and so that's, that's part of what we're doing, but this is, all of this is our story. And I think you're welcome to come and visit. I'd love it if all of you come and visit. And I think when you think about coffee in Burundi, please do not think about the horror stories you read online. I want you to think about the two lenses. Quality, because it's amazing quality coffee, in Burundi, and story, because our story in Burundi is just getting started. Thank you very much. Thank you.
1: Last but not least, we're going to hear from Ruth, Anne, and uh, I'm looking forward to this presentation, and I know you do too.
3: Okay, my name is Ruth Ann Church. I'm president of Artisan Coffee Imports, and we import uh, specialty grade green coffee from Rwanda, and um, we do some consulting at Origin. And when this lecture was designed, it was supposed to be Marta Uwiherwenimana up here to speak to you. She is the president of Copacama cooperative in Rwanda. Um, Unfortunately, it wasn't possible for her to be here to join these other women who are leading um, impressive organizations in East Africa. Um, So I I am here as her stand-in. I do import and sell the coffee of Copacama. And um, I have been doing that. This will be my fourth year. And, but keep that in mind, I can't give the same first-hand insights that Marta could or that our colleagues on the panel have, so um, I do appreciate you guys bringing us the, the words straight from Central Africa. Um, and I do visit the co-op at least uh, once or twice a year, um, so let me tell you what I know. Uh, the Copacama is a wonderful Rwandan cooperative, um, notably older than the other organizations you've just heard from. They're uh, 15 years old now, 33 permanent um, employees and 600 seasonal, and and notably also this is a cooperative business model, which is also intentional for this panel. I wanted to show that the innovations that uh, we see in coffee can happen with co-ops as well as private companies. Um, and then the other highlight here is the small size of the farms. 449 is the average size 449 trees is the average size of the farm. That's like 0.18 hectare for their members. Another a very cool thing the Copacama did is create a women's group called Ajohaza. And the highlight about them is they have three community plots. So the 300, 400 women are farming three community plots together. So first I'm going to address some marketing points and then go on to price and quality control. Um, The first three points are probably not innovative, but I wanted to give you a sense of what the marketing mix is at this cooperative. They are pursuing multi-year relationships, fixed-price contracts, so that would be fixed price instead of um, being based on the sea price. They have three certifications that they offer, fair trade, rainforest, and organic, and they offer microlots. But the, real, the fourth one is the one that's probably innovative. They are pursuing um, culture change to lean, And lean is something that allows management to focus on sales to the right customers. And so I have this next slide to kind of drill in a little bit on these triangles.
0: Ruthann has a graphic of two pyramids side by side. Each is split into three sections, and each section is titled Grow, Improve, and Run. The pyramid on the left shows the run segment taking up the majority of the pyramid, whereas the pyramid on the right shows replacing run with grow. So now grow is taking up the majority of the pyramid and run shrinks to a small segment. The third segment improve also becomes bigger in the new pyramid compared to the old pyramid.
3: What lean does many things, but the one thing I'll try to share with you today is this focus on growth and the triangle uh, embodies all of the time of the people in that organization. And then what you see with Lean is you're shifting towards a a new culture where more of the company's time is spent on growth and less of it is spent on the run, the run being the operations. And you notice that the way we get from the left to the right, the old way to the new way, is by focusing on improvement. Early on when we start, there's, there's not a lot of time in the organization spent on improvement, but some... And then gradually, as you go along, more and more people are spending time on improving the operations. Um, So one example of how Copacama has, uh, and so I know a bit about this because it was in 2016 that I started, um, that I was allowed to begin the lean training at Copacama. And so they've been moving this direction since that time. And one example is Frederic, the uh, CEO, the hired person, um, the hired CEO employee, was here, was in Seattle last year for SCA. And I think that was one of the first times that they had made the time and the money available for one of their leaders to be at SCA. And, um, And that's kind of an example of growing into having more time spent on marketing. So the other thing that Copacama is working on and and this is somewhat related to lean Ruth has um, a table showing the
0: average farmer price per pound. Do you have the kind beans. of
3: pricing that the allows
0: the So here's cents a glimpse per pound, of average cherry. But in twenty nineteen the chart shows the price per pound is projected to fall to eighty cents per pound. The second point to note is that the average sales price for green coffee per pound was $2.22 in 2016, and then it fell to $2.17 by 2018. So
3: 2016 was a very low price, and then since that time, they've been able to increase the pricing. Um, And um, what they accomplished with that is that, whereas in 2016, over half their members were disincentivized to grow coffee. And then as the cherry pricing, you can I'm sorry, I've got a little box there to help you. Um, so you can see 0.7 in 2016 goes up to 1.2 to 1.7 in 2018. Um, we've got some issues, and this gets to some of the things that Lauren was talking about that are um, not market imposed that are dragging down the price this year. So the cooperative is going to have to deal with the aftermath of lower cherry price this year and more farmers being demotivated to pursue coffee. Um, well, ideally what we would want to see in this marketing trajectory is that as the farmer price goes up, the average export price of all of the cooperative's coffee is Unfortunately, you can see, so while 2018 went up over 2017, neither of those years was higher than 2016. So that's a big area for focus. Let's just put it that way. Um, and one thing that very much helps with improving that average export price is quality control. So here's what Copacama is doing. It's quality control.
0: Ann's diagram shows a virtuous quality control circle. Farmer investments lead to higher productivity, but at the quality control stage, defects are removed, lowering the overall harvest available for higher margins. But the coffees that make it through are sold in the specialty market, thereby enabling farmers to earn more and make investments. The virtuous cycles then continue.
3: This diagram shows the important point that Copacama has found. We have to put quality control before the farmer gets paid which unfortunately is often overlooked in Rwanda. Um, With quality control function here, you can get the virtuous cycle going of farmer is investing, bringing more cherry, and getting paid more. So 2019 is the first year that Copacama required floating before paying the farmer. So what does floating look like? Ruthann is showing three pictures. With floating, we have the farmer bringing her cherry... And um, first she has to hand sort, and there's a waste. Can you see kind of the yellow cherries? Those get pulled out with the hand sorting. Then the good cherry goes into a bucket with water, and the bad cherries are floated. And so again, we have a second tier of bringing the waste out and getting into the waste stream. And the waste is weighed by the collector. And so what he weighs as, as waste cherry is subtracted from the total amount of cherry that the farmer brought. So now the farmer's getting paid two prices. And this is new in Rwanda. Burundians have known this for a long time. <laughs> um, so finally this year, the cooperative is paying $222 for sinkers, the really good cherry, and $50 for the floaters, the, the light cherry. Um, and... This, what what they are finding and what they believe internally, they themselves, is that this is going to help them pay farmers more. The farmers who collect consistently bring 90% good dense cherry are going to get paid more than they did maybe in the past. And cup scores will increase and customers will be willing to pay more for good quality coffee. So that's my story from Copacama. I believe they are innovating in marketing pricing, and quality control.
1: Thank you so much. Um, thank you, Raquel, yes. L- uh, Lauren, and Ruth. Uh, I'm going to just give the floor the opportunity to ask any questions you might have, comments, and feedbacks.
5: I'll jump in. Ruthanne. You, you talked a little bit about lean. Yeah. Um, you didn't really have the time to like go into that too much. Would you be willing to unpack that a little bit and specifically... Speaking of how using lean, it showed on your slide that it had a direct correlation to growth. And I would like if you could have an example of that and just a a little tidbit for us of what that is.
3: Can you introduce yourself?
5: Oh, I'm sorry. I'm Ben Carlson.
3: Okay. So um, Copacama had this openness to changing to a lean culture, and that's a key thing. There was openness in the management team to changing culture. You know, they were willing to try. They probably wouldn't have gone too far if they didn't like it. Um, So the lean is an adjective that means fit and healthy. So it's not an acronym. And it also defines an operations management system that many of, some of you who have been in business school may have heard about from time to time. Um, So you asked about... So grow is the activities that somebody in the organization spends growing current or new customers. Improve, and, and the example I gave there was Frederick taking the time during peak season, by the way, to co- to go to Seattle last year. Um, improve would be an example. What we do, one thing we do very concretely is create improvement projects of workers who are Thinking about a certain problem and figuring out an answer. So one of the examples was um, the guy who runs the machine understood that the machine sometimes cuts the green beans, and that's basically money going down the drain, because every time a good bean gets cut, it's now in the waste stream. So he and one of our first Kaizen projects was to devise a way for them to more immediately adjust the... Um the discs on the depulping machine to reduce cut beans um, so that 's an example of improve now the the real reason it leads to growth, I think this might be the answer to your question is normally everybody, including the management, is spending almost all of every day what doing what we call putting out fires. Oh my gosh, this has to get done today we 're all going to work on this nobody's doing anything else that kind of. Madness, And as you work on your improvements, you're going to work on reducing the time needed and thinking about what's the most efficient way to do each process. So there's a lot of focus on time, reducing the time it takes to do any single operation or process. So that's how we get the operations down and more Capacity to work on finding customers and the right customers for your product and, and being able to do all of that more efficiently. It's a little abstract because we don't have time for an entire MBA course right here. <laughs> Does that help? Does that help a little bit? Okay.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Ruth. Can I, I? I think I got her, so I can summarize it like this: Grow is in terms of production, it's the value chain activities, marketing, and finding customers, and leadership. Yes. Improve is in thinking, upgrading, and efficiency, so that you run to the next thing, conscious of time. I think, if I got it right.
5: <laughs> um, at Geisha Village, I really, I, I thought that was a very the the way you presented just that you're coming from a storytelling background um is very a very interesting way of of showcasing geisha village and i'm just wondering how that played into making an auction viable or if or if that was just like an added benefit or if that was like a direct driver to to how you could even start that because i mean also having the connection with 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 panama i'm i'm assuming that's where you got some of the ideas and how that drove sales but would be interested to know that connection.
2: The auction for us is very important because it allows us to... Um, it, uh, first of all, the auction is about 4% of our sales. And so it's very important that uh, it, it helps us market our, our uh, coffee and share our coffee to different consumers, different parts of the world. We do cupping sessions with roasters, ultimately reaching uh, consumers uh, and it's a great way of meeting other people that, that would be interested in our coffee and sharing our stories and who we are and what we're trying to do with Geisha Village. So that's exciting for us. The auctions is really, really fun. Uh, of course, uh, yes, I would definitely agree that Panama uh, influence is there. Uh, we're the first, um, uh, uh auction, uh, to do in, uh, in Africa as well as in Ethiopia. So it's very exciting. Uh, it definitely took a lot of guts, and, um, and it was a single estate that did uh, auction. So we had to be brave and we had to, you know. And listen, you know, it's really fun, and auction, tasting auction cuppings are just the, one of the best things to do because you get to have so much fun tasting amazing coffees.
6: Okay. Okay. Thank you so much for your presentation. Um, I've been here all week at RICO and um, at the Expo, and I'm just happy that there's representation from Africa. We've heard a lot from our colleagues across um, Central America. And there are two conflicting Africa panels, so that's my feedback for SCA next, next year. Um, <laughs> as someone kind of craving that content. So thank you for your leadership. I was wondering if you could talk as innovators. These are clearly um, very advanced marketing and sales channels. How you're sharing those strengths and those knowledge across East Africa with either smaller scale cooperatives or others who are really looking to carve out a broader global understanding of specialty East African coffee. Yeah. Sorry, I'm Lisa Artuso. I'm with the University of California, Davis. Lisa? Yes,
2: thank you. Sharing knowledge is very important to us. In fact, last, in 2017, we started a... We wanted to share what we were doing in Geisha Village with other farmers in, um, in, uh, in Benchemaji and in different parts of Ethiopia. But first, we did it in 2017 in Benchamaji where we actually took a, a bus full of farmers from neighboring uh, um, areas and say, hey, we can show you what we're doing in Geisha Village, so you could do that to your farm, because sharing knowledge is very important to us. Uh, we have an opportunity to travel different parts of the world uh, and meet uh, different uh, you know, knowledgeable people, but some of the farmers. They don't have that. So we said, hey, you know, what about you come to Geisha and we tell you, we show you our processes during harvest, what you can do. And we had a big cow and party and brought all sorts of people, about 40 people. It was really, really fun. And uh, But, hey, we took them to all the processes. This is how we pick cherries. Okay? This is how, this is what quality means. This is how we're doing it. And it was just really an overwhelming experience for a lot of farmers. But of course, as what uh, Lauren was saying, people get overwhelmed, uh, with so much sharing of knowledge. They're like, uh, uh, you know, so it is a work in progress. We're gonna, we're definitely, uh, gonna try to continue this program. But yeah, I, I believe sharing and then, you know, when they ask us any questions about where do you get this? How do you do that? What to do? We wanted to create that channel. And we want Geisha Village to be that farm that shares the knowledge anytime people want and have a question. And that was important to us and that continuously will be important to us.
1: Do you have any plans as a part of the sharing experience and knowledge uh, to institutionalize and make it a regular uh, endeavor for Geisha Village to have farmers from all over, at least Ethiopia, to come to your farm and learn and take back experience to their own farm and uh, pro- produce good quality coffee? That's
2: the idea. I mean, our dream, really my dream, if you ask me, is really Ethiopia to, to claim that, mm-hmm. you know, that, um, hey, we gave coffee to the world. And guess what? I think Ethiopia should own that. And I think we can do it. And I think it's important. And I think we can. We have amazing coffee. And there's no reason why if we take care of quality in every aspect, every step, we couldn't, you know? And I, it's important. And we're going to, last year we didn't do it because of the economy and, and the political situation. People didn't want to travel. I didn't want to travel. Safety number one. <laughs> so, uh, next year though, we're going to continue. So we're going to do further. You know, we saw Ben Chimaji, then now we're going to go and. And we actually have clients that are interested in that. They were so excited about this project. They said, hey, how about we bring uh, farmers from Kenya and Rwanda mm-hmm. and let that sharing be and we'll sponsor. We already had some sponsors last uh, the 2017. We continue to have this think tank group where, you know, East Africa and then further Africans, you know, share knowledge. I think okay. it's important. Thank you.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah.
3: Follow up on the sharing idea. Nice question from UC Davis there. Um, that, yes, I, I've also felt that there needs to be more spreading of uh, even some basic lessons of marketing that that are not well understood or widely understood in a lot of East African coffee-producing organizations. And and so I had, like, this daydream in my head of, executive education offered in East Africa marketing for coffee exporters mm. so if anybody's got sponsors and people like that can fund that kind of thing sounds like maybe you've tacked into them mm. let's work on it <laughs>
1: <laughs>
4: thank you Ruth and then the last one was about uh, how are we sharing some of our innovations um, in East Africa I think this is this is something quite dear to my heart because whenever I haven't gone to too many trade shows but when I do go, I see how there's, there's this... I realize my privilege in being able to speak English as a first language. And for the majority of African producers, this is not the case. And I get frustrated when NGOs pump a bunch of money into producer organizations and no one has showed someone how to walk across the room and have a conversation with someone in a language that is not their first language and say, hey, I'd love to, to give you a sample of my coffee. And so personally, I'm trying to do a bit about that. As a company, we are, we are looking at expansion in East Africa. Um, we have a vision uh, to be in several East African nations um, over the coming years. And uh, we want to sh- we, we share what we've learned, because I really believe if you can make it in Burundi, you can make it anywhere. And so this is part of our story, too, is how do we,
5: how do we help others come with us? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I swear, I'm sorry. I'm just going to keep throwing them out there. I, I, okay, but ahead. I want to know for each of you, um, and specifically, uh, maybe, maybe Ruthann is not going to be able to speak to this as much, but being a woman as a leader, um, I know in Burundi that has posed challenges in the past. I just would like to hear your perspective on that. So maybe some, some highs and lows on being, I think having gender is, as an issue or non-issue.
4: Women in, in in leadership in Burundi is in coffee is really interesting. I think it's it's always gonna be, it's always gonna be an interesting battle of diplomacy to not get angry, <laughs> because there is a. And I mean, I, some, some of you know our story. I mean, my this is my boss right here, Ben Carlson. And in East Africa, when when there is a white guy around, he is the boss, and it has been a really interesting uh, almost two years now of, of, of still people saying, well, yeah, but, you know, sort of, but what does Ben think? And and then they're going to Ben and, and Ben says, no, Lauren's, you need to ask Lauren, this is her. So I think that's, there's that, which is actually both in Burundi and out of Burundi. And then in Burundi, I think, I think I'm really lucky that I'm a South African. So I'm from the continent, that really helps. And I think it's just, I, to be to be really real, I just, play that card that I'm not Burundian and I can be very direct. Burundians are really indirect and it's, it it really, I, I am kind of like, well, you know what? I'm not from this culture and if I've offended you, but I am, you know, just calling you out on the fact that you're not taking me seriously as a woman. So, and then I think the last thing around that is just surrounding myself with cultural guides. So colleagues who are, who, who are so much more culturally experienced than I am because they are Burundian and because uh, they've been in the coffee sector longer than I am. And I just defer to their wisdom as much as I can because I just know that, yeah, I'm going to make a lot of mistakes.
3: Hello. My name is Kathy. Um, And my question is
2: regarding marketing efforts. Is your audience specifically the buyer? Or do you sometimes think about beyond the buyer, who is your audience for marketing?
4: In terms of who's the audience, that is something we're trying to figure out. It is... It is mostly roasters, but what we're realizing, what we're seeing is that uh, we want to connect with, with the end consumer, and end and consumers are actually connecting with us via Instagram. And, and now there's almost another sort of audience growing. We started a an environmental program called Trees for Kibera, where we saw, right, by listening to our farmers, we, we did a survey, and we said, hey, how, how can we as Long Miles Coffee um, serve you? Because yeah, as, as I said, we're, we're looking at how do we use coffee as a tool for community transformation? And the number one resounding uh, response that came back was that climate change is messing up our farms. And so as a company, we said, okay, we need to respond to this. And we started an initiative called Trees for Kibera. And so there's a new audience emerging there. And we it, it's because it's so new, and because we're so used to doing coffee, and we're we're, we're learning how to do this—the tree planting thing and the reforestation thing. There's a new audience coming in that we we actually need help in terms of how do we engage. And so we're we're working with, we're getting a lot of inside uh, outside input, just 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 really informal discussions of how do we do this, how do we share what we're doing in an area that we're actually not experienced in.
0: A member of the audience is saying that there are many messages you're trying to get across. Which is the one you want Roasters to focus on?
4: It's a really great question. Um, and it's, it's something that we wrestle with a lot as a team. Um, how do you convey context? And I think the first one is come and visit yourself. So please, come and visit. And I think that has been the most useful tool in terms of helping craft a message uh, because we really want you to walk away with, hey, this is what Burundi coffee is for us. Um, we, we put a lot of effort and time into making uh, hill guides to our coffee, and I think if there's anything that you could sort of convey is that I think the first one is that this is not a project, even though it's, it's in, our, in our title. We are not an NGO. We are a for-profit coffee producer that is working to affect long-term change in Burundi through high-quality coffee. That's what I would like the takeaway to be. And then, if you want to speak, like I, I, if you want to speak about our efforts to reduce the potato taste, that that's amazing. Uh, if you want to talk about the rolling green, beautiful hills of Burundi, that's amazing. If you want to talk about how Burundi coffee just crushes Rwanda coffee. No, sorry. <laughs> um, um, but I, I really do think visiting is key um, and so and I know it's not possible for everyone to visit which is why we do our best with Instagram stories and that's, that's something too. if you don't know how to explain, we're, we're putting in a lot of effort to help to serve to serve, this, to serve you and be like, hey if you don't know what to say, just say, hey, go look at their Instagram story every day there should be an Instagram story up and, if, and that can help convey a bit of what, what we're doing
7: Yes. <laughs> I, I have a question
4: for, for okay. roasters and cafe owners in the room. Like, something we struggle with a lot is what is more um, uh, effective in, in conveying context, video, text, uh, photography. Like, what, are, what are some of the things in, that, that work or don't work?
7: Okay, I'm uh, Gladys Kalema Zixoka, founder and CEO of Gorilla Conservation Coffee, which basically we support coffee farmers, living around habitats where gorillas are found, and stop them poaching, um, collecting firewood, and give them a good price for good coffee. It has to be good Arabica coffee, which we train them to do. And then we sell it to tourists, expatriates, affluent Ugandans. And now we've started selling it abroad as well. And there's a donation for every bag sold. goes back to support the community in the same areas, Gorilla Health, Gorilla Conservation. And we also have a cafe in Intebe, Gorilla Conservation Cafe, we found that video works quite well for promoting video. our cause. Mm, sure. we, we have like a, it's a for-profit social enterprise where we got a small loan. Mm. So we have a very small budget. Mm. But we've managed to really do a lot of marketing through social media. Awesome. Mm. Video has really helped. Photographs, everyone who comes to the cafe. It's nicely branded with uh, Kanyonyi, my favorite gorilla. Mm. Um, he's over there, plus showing how yeah. by buying the coffee, you're helping the gorillas and helping the farmers. Awesome. And so that's really helped. Just social media, video, video. What, taking photographs, yeah. all of that has really helped. Facebook, so yeah. people, everyone knows about it, just with a tiny budget. Yeah. <laughs>
0: a member of the audience is saying they like video content because it can be playing while they're doing something else in the cafe. They also mentioned that they have producer-partner profiles in the shop with photographs and a little story behind the producer.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. That was an Thank awesome you. presentation. I, I, I would love to wrap it up as these three major topics, I mean points, were our focus from the beginning. And we heard a top-notch marketing strategy with a video from our Geisha Village panelists. And despite the policy challenges, what Long Miles is doing to improve the cherry quality so that they get good price on their cherries, and the lean model, that is a new lesson for me as well and I think we're going to have a conversation on that one with Ruth but it's an interesting uh, new adventure as well so uh, thank you I hope you got some more information about how innovative and creative we are in the eastern part of Africa about our coffee and to make uh, the cup of joy you enjoy uh, really worth it thank you so much
0: That was Ann Church, Lauren Rosenberg, Rachel Samuel, and Sarah Yurga at Specialty Coffee Expo in 2019. Remember to check out our show notes for a full transcript of this lecture, and a link to coffeeexpo.org for more information about this year's event. This has been an episode of the SCA Podcast Expo Lecture Series, brought to you by the members of the Specialty Coffee Association and supported by SAP Soft Engine Coffee One. Thanks for listening.